0: be for my beloved, and my beloved will be for me. Thoughts in the month before Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Yehuda Ashlag, the great Kabbalist, didn't teach Kabbalah so that we should have a theoretical knowledge of the spiritual worlds, but in order that we should have a guide to our lives and our behavior here and now in this world. This approach of his comes up most vividly in the oral talks he gave his students on the festivals and on other occasions which were faithfully written down by his son Rabbi Baruch Shalom Ashlag when the festival or the Shabbat was over. These oral discourses have been published in the book Shamati meaning I heard. Today we're going to learn some of an old teaching that Rabbi Ashlag gave his students on the meaning of the month of Elul so that we also can prepare for the High Holy Days, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. As you may know, the name of the Hebrew month we're now in, Elul, is an acronym for the phrase, Ani L'dodi V'dodi Li. I am for my beloved, and my beloved is for me. This phrase, Rabbi Ashlag points out, invites the question, What do we have to give to the Beloved, the Creator? Since God is perfect, whole and does not lack anything. To answer this question, we need to first understand the teaching of the sages regarding the purpose of creation. God's purpose in creation is to give pleasure to the created beings. This pleasure needs to be 100% whole and perfect, and therefore cannot be marred by the shame of receiving for nothing. A shame we would certainly feel if we were not to give anything for this great gift. And so, to prevent this feeling of shame, the Creator caused the contraction of the vessels of receiving, in an initial event in the creation of the world called the Tzimtzum, Tzimtzum meaning contraction. The Tzimtzum refers to two aspects. There were two consequences of the Tzimtzum. One, on the side of the vessels, that is, that the vessels no longer receive the light of God directly, the goodness of God. And two that the light is hidden from the vessels as long as they are in the mode of just receiving for themselves alone. The only way now, following the Tzimtzum, that we are able to receive God's light is by first giving and thus being in affinity of form with the Creator and then with the vessels transformed and fitting to receive all the goodness that God wants to give. When it will transpire that the created beings will be able to give unconditionally, then straight away all the light, which is God's goodness, that had been concealed from the created beings will be given to us and God's purpose in his creation will come to fruition. It is in accordance with this idea that we can understand the dictum of the sages Nullify your will before his will, so that he will nullify his will before your will. Ethics of the Fathers, chapter 2, verse 4. What does this mean in practice? Nullify your will to receive yourself alone, which is a person's selfish love, in favour of giving unconditionally for the love of God. That is, putting God's desire that we should give before our own desire to receive. When a person has let go of his selfish desire to the extent that he only wants to give unconditionally either to God or to his fellow then this contraction, this hiddenness which is caused by the Tsim will lift and then all the goodness that he wants to give will flow unimpeded. At that point the person is receiving only because it is God's will that he should do so and he is not interested in receiving for himself alone. This is called receiving only for the sake of giving. It is in this way that we can understand the phrase I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. In other words, I nullify my will to receive before the will of God such that all I desire is now only in order to give and then this leads to the state of my beloved is for me. Now the Holy Blessed One can allow all the good and joy that is in the purpose of creation to flow, such that his goodness that was hidden is now revealed. How do we know if we're giving or not? So often our motives are hidden from us. Hrubashag says, it is important that we understand that we cannot come to the revelation of God's light unless we first accept the aspect of concealment. What does that mean? It means that in times of concealment we serve God with exactly the same joy that we have when the light of God is revealed openly to us. But this attitude is impossible to sustain unless a person maintains that what I feel when I do the work is not actually that important. Whether I receive a good feeling of uplift, whether I feel the work is being dry as dust, doesn't affect my happiness in being asked to do it, in being given the opportunity. What becomes important is that God gives us the privilege of the work. It is a privilege to serve God under any circumstances, and that's what becomes important to me. And if God feels that it's better that I work without getting any emotional or spiritual feedback, then I agree. When we're still stuck with sparks of receiving for ourselves alone within us, and we're still interested in receiving, then when our spiritual life seems to go dry on us, we find it difficult to believe that God is good and does good in all circumstances. But it is precisely the ability of giving, even in the dark, that actually creates our ability For unconditional giving. It's when we grow our spiritual muscles. In this, we're able to explain the scripture. For straight are the ways of God. The righteous will walk in them, but the wicked will stumble in them. That's from Hosea. The term wicked means those who are caught in the net of their will to receive for themselves alone. When they're in a time of concealment when God's light is hidden from them, they feel crushed by the burden of their ego and therefore fall. Whereas the tzaddik, when the light of God is concealed from him, he actually finds it helpful because then he, like we said early, can develop his spiritual muscles for giving. A person knows if he's able to value these times of darkness in his life, if he's able to maintain his joy under all circumstances. His joy is witness to the purity and strength of his intention of giving at all times. Indeed, it is the blackness at the time of concealment becomes the very cause of the dawn. We see this in the word for the morning prayer, shacharit. It actually stems from the word dark, shachor or black. But it is the blackness of the time of God's concealment that gives rise to the shaharit, give rise to the dawn and the prayers and the songs that we give on the morning. And this is what Mabayasha continues. It is necessary for us to develop vessels which are giving only for the sake of giving as a step towards the fulfillment of God's purpose. For without this step, we are not in affinity of form with him and therefore could not receive any light from him. But the fruition of the purpose of creation comes about when the vessels of receiving receive all the good and joy. And thus in the Holy Zohar, the Shekhinah says to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, there is no place that I can hide from you meaning that since Rabbi Shimon Bar was in veikut with the Shekhinah in every single imaginable circumstance, she could not, as it were, avoid him or be concealed from him. To this Rabbi Shimon said, Because of this, his desire is on me. That is, I give to my beloved continually, always, in all circumstances, and then my beloved gives to me. Mabay Bayochai was in the consciousness of continual Dewey giving unconditionally to the Holy Shekhinah, and thus the Holy Blessed One was continually giving to him. For although giving is the Tikkun of the creation, the name of God is not complete until the created being also receives from God and his transformed vessel of receiving, which is only for the sake of giving, is thus revealed. And when it happens with all of us, that will be the gemara Tikkun the end of the Tikkun and the Redemption. To understand this further, we're going to look at a very famous part of the Talmud, which because it was taken literally and the language within it not understood, has caused a lot of misunderstandings, especially around the time of Rosh Hashanah. We need to know that the Talmud has a language which is very much connected with the Kabbalah and therefore very often hidden. One of the remarkable aspects of Rabbi Ashag's work is that he uncovered many of the inner meanings in the Talmud as well as in the Kabbalah. In Masechet, Rosh Hashanah, page 16b, we are told, Rabbi Kwaspidai told that Rabbi Echonan said that three books are opened on Rosh Hashanah. One is for the completely wicked, one is of the completely righteous, and one is for those who are in between. The completely righteous are judged straight away for life, the wicked are judged straight away for death, and those in between wait until Yom Kippur. If they merit, they are written for life. If they don't merit, they are written for death. Now, we're not going to go into all the wrong images that this piece has conjured up for so many people over the centuries. We're going to look at what it really means. And in order to really understand it we first of all have to get our definitions right life means connection with God the source of all life this is achieved by being in affinity of form with him and as we've seen from what we've learned it means giving unconditionally to our fellow man or to God the tzaddik the righteous is in connection with God on a continual basis the wicked is those who connect with their wills to receive for themselves alone they are absolutely putting their ego first okay that comes before giving to anybody else those are the definitions death does not here mean physical death death here means disconnection from God or disuse Rabbi Asha continues this is what it means when it says the righteous are destined for life and the wicked for death a person must decide for himself in which book he would like to list his own name the word book means consciousness which consciousness do we want to be aligned with do we want to be aligned with giving do we want to be aligned with compassion Do we want to be aligned with the righteous? Do we want to be giving to each other and to God in affinity of form with him? Or do we just want to operate receiving for ourselves alone, giving to our own ego, cut off from each other and from the other source of our life? That is what we're deciding, and a person needs to decide this for himself. We need to know there are many types of giving and not all of them are unconditional. Sometimes a person says, oh yes, I would like to have the will to give, but I don't want to give up my ego. I don't want to give up my will to receive. So he tries to keep both worlds for himself, but that doesn't work. Because when there are times of darkness and the light is concealed and it doesn't shine for him, he will be sorry that he's giving and he will not feel joy. So, in the book of the Tzadikim, there are listed only those who wish to transform their vessels to the aspect of giving and not receive anything for themselves at all. But we actually need to know that in the inner work, both the book of the Tzadikim and the book of the wicked are talking about the consciousnesses which reside within each and every one of us. We're talking about the wicked and the righteous within ourselves. There is a wicked aspect and a righteous aspect within each one of us. We need to make a choice and know clearly what we want. Therefore, a person may say, I want to be listed in the book of life, in the book of the righteous, which is the book of giving, for that is in the finity of form of the source of all life, and I want to do everything for the sake of God. And likewise, when I come to list myself in the Book of the Wicked, in which is listed those who want to receive for ourselves alone, I say, Let that aspect of myself which wants to indulge my selfish ego die. When we understand this Talmud in this way, we see that both sides of it are positive. It is entirely positive. However, it is hard for a person to decide so concretely and decisively about these aspects of ourselves. We do need help. And so we pray on Rosh Hashanah. Remember us for life, O King of life, and write us in the Book of Life. In other words, Strengthen my will for true life which is the will to be united with you by doing acts of compassion unconditionally. In this understanding, we see that the judgment of Rosh Hashanah is entirely our own. During this month of Elul, we need to come to a decision where we're standing. Let us come to judge our best qualities for life, for strength and connection with our Creator. And let us let go of our negative qualities and ask God to let them die. It is in this way we see that both books that are opened on Rosh Hashanah are entirely positive. For indeed, all that comes from God is good. Remember us for life, the King who delights in life. And write us in the book of life. Amen. This audio recording is brought to you from Nahorah School, established by Yadida Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Hudalev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahorah School online. Details at www.nahorahschool.com or www.nahorahpress.com.